Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about the power of family, the majesty of the wilderness, and those supernatural aids that find a way to show up unexpectedly when we need them most. I'm super excited today because we have with us Marty Olhot and Grace Lai, a father-daughter team and authors of the new book, Tent for Seven, here with us today. Marty and Grace are both local to my hometown here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was lucky to meet them for the first time as they shared their story of this trip out west gone sideways that was central to their new book when they presented the story at Jesse Brown's Outdoors Storyteller Night. Marty and Grace are both great adventurers in their own right. Marty worked in the business world 40 years and has traveled to all 50 states and 44 countries. He's crisscrossed Asia, toured cities throughout Central and South America, roamed 16 countries in Europe, and lived on a boat in Alaska. Grace has followed dad's footsteps well. She's worked for the American Red Cross, the White House, and the CIA. And she's hiked mountains in North Korea, slept under the stars in the Sahara Desert, rode elephants in Thailand, went dog sledding in the Arctic Circle. She rode camels through the Gobi Desert and floated in the Dead Sea. And she ran with the bulls in Spain during her time traveling through 30 countries. These two are pretty incredible indeed. And today we get to find out more about their highly entertaining and inspiring adventure story, a new book, Tent for Seven. Marty and Grace, welcome to the campfire. Thank you so much. It's good to be here, Scott. Oh, man, I'm so excited. So you know, as I said in the intro, we got a chance to meet not too long ago over at Bill Barty's store, Jesse Brown's Outdoors. It's a great place. Bill has been on this podcast. He's a friend of the podcast um, and just an amazing guy. And his store happens to be the place where you bought your tent, which is in the title of this book, Tent for Seven. And it was so fun to hear that story. So let's just jump right in. Tell us about this book, Tent for Seven. Yeah, well, it's funny because our story really did start at Jesse Brown's 30 years ago when we bought the tent for seven. And the, the story, the book, Tent for Seven, it tells the story of a two-week-long camping trip that my family took to the Canadian Rockies. And the camping trip took place in 1994. There are seven people in my family, which is where we got the title. It was 1994, so we were age 6 to 16 at the time. There's four girls and one boy. And during the trip, Murphy's Law was very much at play. <laughs> it was kind of one of those, anything that could go wrong was going to go wrong. Actually dating back to before we even took the trip, we were actually supposed to go in 1993. And right before we left, Marty tore his ACL, and so we had to change the trip to the next year, and that ended up being the busiest tourist season in Canada, the hottest summer in Canada. So everything just started to go wrong from the beginning. 
And also in the book, there are flashbacks to 1972 when my dad graduated from the University of Cincinnati and he and a couple of his friends took a 10 week long camping trip and slash road trip out west in America. So we have a lot of short flashbacks throughout the book that capture his time during the Wild West trip. And then there's a couple, one or two others that are from his youth, not specifically from the Wild West camping trip. But uh, at its core, the book is a humorous uh, story about a camping trip gone wrong. Yes. And I have my copy right here. So for those that are just listening, um, I've got a copy here of the book 10 for 7. And I even have a little signature from when, okay, you can't see that there, but a little signature from when you guys signed it for me at Jesse Brown's. I have my own autograph copy, which I'm super excited about. And I am a voracious reader. So um, I, I plowed through the whole thing before our, our talk today. And I'm, uh, you know, there, there's some cliffhangers in here and uh, we're, we're not going to give away the whole story, but I certainly want to hear a little bit more about it. Before we jump into kind of like the, the overview of what people can expect from this book, you you mentioned that it talks about this camping trip out west, but there's some uh, you know some kind of going back in time and Marty sharing some of his experiences earlier on. So I, I want to start with with that, Marty, if we can. You're a father of five. You spent forty plus years working in business, and you've traveled all over the world. Before that, you were a young, an adventurer as a young man, and I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the places that you've been and sort of where you developed your enthusiasm for the wilderness that ultimately brought us to this trip. Um, I would be happy to, Scott. <laughs> um, and it, you know, I, I've thought about this question a lot because, uh, you know, your, your intro talks about ordinary people and we certainly qualify as ordinary people. <laughs> and, and I tried to think what, um, what got me going here? And, you know, uh, it occurred to me that there was an event in my life when I was about 19 years old, which I remember distinctly, but I never really connected it to this issue. But when I was 19, I was in a motorcycle wreck hmm. uh, going about 45 or 50 miles an hour into the side of a car that had just turned in front of me. Um, and just to, I've, I survived and I don't, I was fine. I just was in the hospital for a few days, yeah. uh, getting some repairs, but it was a miracle that I survived a 50 mile an hour motorcycle wreck head on. Uh, and I can remember when I was sitting in the street after I, after I had come to a skidding stop thinking, I don't, I don't believe I'm still, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm here. And it occurred to me, I'm going, God, I'm 19 years old. I should have been dead and this should be all over. I need to go do something extraordinary. Uh, and that inspired me to check with some cousins that we had in Ireland. I said, can I come over for the rest of the summer? And I mean, I would have never done that in a million years, but I thought I took my $400 out of the bank, yeah. bought a ticket and spent the rest of the summer or, or the next month or so in Ireland working on a farm. And, and John Brown, the farmer, after a month or so, he said, listen, you've been working pretty hard. Let me, let me give you a couple hundred pounds here. And I said, well, if you do that, I'm going to go over to, I got an uncle in Germany. And I'll, I'll take the ferries over to the mainland. I kind of had a hitch, hitchhike. <laughs> he didn't give me enough money to take an airplane. Yeah. Hitchhiked across France and into Germany down to my uncle's house. Hitchhiked back a few weeks later. Spent a couple more weeks. And when I got home, I just thought, wow, this 
I should be doing more of this. <laughs> so the next summer I went out and spent a couple of weeks on my uncle's uh, ranch out in Arizona, riding up in the Mule Mountains. And then the, the summer later, as Grace pointed out, we took our 10 week trip out west. And a couple of years later, we went out and climbed Long's Peak. And then a year later, we went out and climbed uh, the, in the Tetons, climbed the Grand Teton. And a couple of years later, we went to Mount Whitney. And we didn't make it to Mount Whitney. And Scott, you probably just read that. We didn't quite make it to the top, but we <laughs> snowstorm kept us off. But that's, you know, those adventures just, uh, they, those extraordinary adventures became just kind of a way of life. And I'm so, you know, I was kidding around. I didn't really want to have that motorcycle wreck, but it right. kind of turned me on to getting out and doing stuff. But it's so interesting though. Like it, it seems that for you, it took something big to kind of smack you and say, Hey, life is short. Exactly. I, I real that absolutely is what happened. I sat there and thought I, I could be, I should be dead and it should be all over. And I didn't go out and do anything fabulous. And I, when I die with $400 in the bank, I, I want to die with no money in the bank, you know? So, the, and that happened when you were 19? I was 19. Yeah. I just, I just bought the motorcycle and like every kid's got to do, you got to buy the motorcycle and take it apart and have it on the floor. Then you got to put it back together. <laughs> and I had these big high handlebars on it. I remember thinking when I saw that car, I got to get over these handlebars. Yeah. But that's so interesting though. I mean, 19 is still very young. I mean, that, that was a, that was an early time in life to be able to realize like life is short. And I mean, you're, you've lived a life of adventure since then. Um, it, it's pretty incredible that you had that experience so early on. I, I wonder that if you could take us back to, to, you know, kind of fast forwarding from being 19 and becoming this adventurer, but now we're in 1994 and you're a father and a husband and you've got it in mind that you want to, take the family, you want the family to experience this. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of take us back to that 1994, Marty, and, and what was going through your mind. Well, let me go back a little further than that. In the early, mid eighties, you know, we family started expanding and, you know, we had three kids and then four kids and five kids. Um, and uh, my wife and I are both from pretty big families. My wife's from a family of seven kids and uh, my family was six kids. And, you know, I thought, you know, being from a large family can be a really nice thing and good benefit. A lot of good things can come from having good solidarity and harmony, but it doesn't happen automatically. Uh, sometimes just the opposite happens. And I thought, I really want to, both my wife and I said, let's, let's do whatever we can to foster unity and harmony amongst our kids. And that was a sort of a theme for a lot of things that we did. And, and one of the things we thought we would do is let's go camping together. <laughs> you get pretty close together when you're all camping in one tent. And, and, and we did that. So we started camping. We got the tent from Desi Browns and we would go up to the Blue Ridge and to Pisgah Forest. And for three or four years, we were taking two or three camping trips a year. Uh, and it was going fine. You know, there wasn't anything went wrong on any one of those trips that I can even remember beyond a leak in the tent or a kid getting poison ivy or something. So, so 19, oh, actually in 1990, we decided to go out West. So we took them all out West to Seattle and camped down the coast, down to San Francisco. We had a great trip. And two years later, we went to Colorado and we landed in Denver and we just went all the way around to Aspen and down to Gunnison and back around for a two week trip. Had a great time. And then Grace mentioned uh, 93, we were going to, what we were kind of thinking might be the last trip. We're thinking, you know, we're getting older. 
maybe this harmony thing we might be pushing a little too hard because we're getting older more interested in boys than bears and yeah. the acl the acl might have been a warning that might have been a sign that you're supposed to stop now but i didn't take the warning we <laughs> we headed out for one more kind of a grand finale in 94 uh and that that's kind of the background for why we headed out to the, the pacific northwest and as grace mentioned we picked that because, well, you know, it's kind of isolated up there. It's kind of desolate. Won't be many people there. It'll be nice and cool. You know, when you, when the girls are having to not take showers for long periods of time, you want cool weather. So that's why we went there. And of course, we that <laughs> the other one of those happened. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. I, I have to tell you, like, it really connected with me um, because um, this particular trip happened. We, we say out west, but part particular trip happened in the British uh, Canadian Rockies in, you know, Banff National Park, Jasper National Park in that general area. And um, a couple of years ago, back in 2016, my family and I did a road trip from Vancouver to Calgary and we drove through. So a lot of those places that you guys went through, like I felt like I was there with you, which was really cool because a lot of those places were super familiar to me. So I was like, like, you know, some of the stories that people are going to read about in this, it's, it's pretty impressive. Grace, I want to ask you. Both of you guys are incredible adventurers, and we're going to get to you a little bit later, but I just want to talk about your dad. He's got such a full resume of travel experiences and adventures. Can you share why the two of you decided to write about this particular experience? Yes. Well, <laughs> as I'm sitting here listening to him talk about spending a summer on a farm in Ireland, I'm thinking, why didn't, I never knew that, which we're going to be <laughs> Um, but I mean, I think there's some truth to that. He didn't write about that, but he did write about his wild, he kept a journal on his wild west trip, which was chicken scratch. I couldn't have read any of it. Um, but he did document this particular trip, uh, in detail and on the computer so I could go through and read it. And it was very well organized. And it really kind of was more of the fact that it was there and I could edit it and turn it into a book that the general public would like to read. Um, really more than anything, it's not like we sat down and said, let's write a book about one of the adventures you had. And then we picked one. It was more, this one was already there. And I just said, let me fix this and turn it into a book. If I remember when I listened to the story at Jesse Brown's, um, Marty, you had documented this and then sort of shelved it. And, and Grace, you found, found it later. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the, the shelving, I, I just, when the trip was over and we'll talk a little more about it, I think, uh, but uh, a lot of things had gone wrong and, and some of them were non-trivial. 
uh, to the point where <laughs> when we got home there, the, everybody was in various stages of needing uh, physical therapy or, or trauma therapy. Uh, and it was, and it lasted for a while. And I was among the trauma therapy group. Uh, and I found myself pretty much laying awake at night, you know, till midnight or two o'clock in the morning, feeling bad about everything. And the number of people had said who had heard about the trip and everything had said, Oh, you, you ought to write a book. Uh, not meaning I should really write a book, but, you know, <laughs> but one night I'm laying there going, you know, maybe I should write all this down. Maybe that'll be therapeutic. Like when you write the love letter and say, I'm need to break up with you and you know, whatever. Yes. So I started writing it down. Uh, and usually I would start about midnight when I couldn't go to sleep. I, and actually I wasn't writing. I was, I pulled out my laptop, which of course in 1994 was about the size of a small piano, but I would start typing away on the, on the laptop. And, um, uh, I just kind of did it night after night after night. And it actually, started to help. I started getting a little sleep after two or three or four weeks. And I decided to keep writing. And I just wrote the whole trip down. And then, uh, as Grace mentioned, along the way, I'd be writing about some little specific event. I said, well, that's exactly like something that happened on a Wild West trip or that happened. <laughs> on, uh, and so I'd throw those in there as well. And there's a bunch of them. Uh, a few of them have survived into the final edition. Uh, and when I finished, it took almost a year. It was about nine months before I really kind of wrapped it up and i when i got finished i typed out a couple copies and uh some friends wanted to read them and i some folks read it for me and then i put it on the shelf and I, the idea was should i throw this in a campfire one night or <laughs> what do i do with did you when you were writing it like was your mindset that other somebody would read it someday or were you just writing it for yourself but initially, I was writing it for myself. I, it was truly PTSD mm -hmm. therapy. I was just trying to get over it. Uh, after a couple months, I thought, you know, this is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe the grandkids would like to read. You know, I would love to go back and read my grandfather's story that went up to the gold rush in Alaska. And mm -hmm. all I know is that he went and he came back a year and a half later. And I'd have loved to read what happened on his trip. And I thought, well, maybe my grandkids will want to read this in a few years. So let me make it readable. But I didn't get into that until it was about three months into it. And then even then it was just, okay, we'll try to make it enjoyable. Uh, and I guess I, I tend to write with a little bit of a humorous style. So I, I started to infuse it with whatever came to my mind to make it funny. But it really was, there was no intention of going beyond putting it on the shelf when I was finished. Yeah. So okay. Grace, so you find this, you find this on the shelf. Yes. It was about 15 years later when I found it. Wow. 15 years. Wow. Yeah, and I knew, I knew that he had written it, but I didn't really know why or have any interest in it at the time until I was about 28. And then I thought, you know, I should read it. It sounds like it might be kind of entertaining. So I read it and I was, and I just thought it was really entertaining and really funny and I thought, you know, with a little work, this could be a book that everybody could read and not just the grandkids or people that know us. But if we really did a lot of work to it, we could turn it into a really good book. And I mean, that's really kind of, I'd always, yeah. I've always enjoyed writing. I've always wanted to write. And I thought, well, here's basically an opportunity to take this really interesting content and turn it into a book. And that's, really what I did. I spent 
I spent probably 10 years on and off, on and off working on it. And I mean, to say that, like I would work on it maybe for like six months and then I wouldn't touch it for two years. So it's, mm. it wasn't like 10 solid years of working on it. It was very on and off because I was also working full time at, at that point. Um, and then it was a couple of years ago. I mean, I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. And I finally got to the point where I was like, this is as good as it's going to get. I got to start sending it to publishers now. And then when we had a publishing deal with Sandra Jonas Publishing House, that was when we actually both started to work on the book together. Because it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, initially he wrote the whole thing. I didn't even know he was working on it. And then I rewrote the whole thing. And well, I, I didn't know you were working he, on it. I don't think he really knew what he was doing. And so it really wasn't until we had a publisher that we started working very, very closely together. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, just to kind of hear the evolution of the whole thing um, and, and how that came together. I mean, it makes a lot of sense now of all these adventures. You just didn't keep journals and document other trips. It just so happens that the, the therapy that this provided for you ends up becoming the book. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. So could you give us some highlights without giving it all away? We, you know, people, it is a very, very entertaining book and the mishaps don't stop until the very, very end. <laughs> so when you think you've gotten through it, you haven't. <laughs> but if you... I mean, they go all the way through to the epilogue. I mean, <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. So can you give us a little, uh, a little overview? First, we, we get to uh, Canada. We're driving up into the mountains and we come to this, just a gorgeous overview. It's beautiful scenery. And we pull, I pulled a van over and I'm going, this we're finally here, you know, after all, after two years of planning and getting the van and getting stuff in there, getting the kids there, getting all the luggage in. We're finally in Canada and we're looking at this most gorgeous scenery and we stop for a few minutes to look at the scenery. Uh, and as we're getting back in the van, I'm going, God, my feet are killing me. I got these huge boots on that weigh about 14 pounds each. And these are my hiking boots for the trip. So I stick them down on the wheel well and we head on up to Kamloops about a two hour drive and we get to cam loops and I open the door and there's only one boot left. I'm going, Oh boy. <laughs> and of course my wife says, we're not going back. Those boots were ugly and smelly. You were going to have to just use that pair of flip-flops that you got. And it's hard to find a pair of 14s when you're up in the Canadian wilderness. And that was a little bitty thing, not a big deal, but then things escalated. Um, and I will just sort of fast forward. Um, the uh we had an issue in uh near banff and at emerald lake and uh my, my wife got pretty hurt there and uh we uh we uh, ran into this we had some help there um we, as we were trying to get an ambulance to come uh and and work with us um as i i had run off to make that happen when i came back there was a a, a couple that had come from out of nowhere didn't really speak English. And as I'm going, what the heck are these people doing here with my wife? And the guy looks up and he goes, doctor, I'm doctor. And I'm going, you gotta be, what? Yeah. Uh, You're in the middle of nowhere and, and uh, there's nobody around. Hardly. Yeah. And, and my poor wife just barely uh, conscious, but she goes, she's, she's a nurse and she's an you know, ICU nurse. So she's familiar with this stuff from the other position, not, but she's going, I think he knows what he's doing. And, and, and the guy's wife was a doctor. We, I assume it was his wife. I never really knew. Yeah. 
And they got us through until the ambulance got there uh, with help help keep us together, which we really needed the help at that point in time. So as the ambulance is getting ready to pull off, I'm going, I got to just go hug these people and thank them. And they're gone. Uh, they're gone. I can't, there's gone. There's nowhere around. I mean, it's a big, wide open place. So that was kind of the first big thing that went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, then there were several more little things that go wrong. <laughs> I mean, the my mom was in such bad shape that they wanted to take her to the closest medical facility which was small. And when we got there, they said, we can't help her here. We don't have the right equipment. You're going to have to take her to a much bigger facility, which was about an hour away. Uh, and so of course we get there. And as I had said, like all of Canada was booked. So even the hospital was full. And so she ended up with a roommate and we, I guess we really don't have roommates here in America. I feel like in the hospitals, but it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. She ended up staying in the hospital for three days and two nights and had to have emergency surgery. And we kind of didn't really have anywhere to go after that. You don't really want to have major surgery and then go back to sleeping in a tent. Um, but we, we didn't really have any options. So the roommate turned out to be this blessing in disguise and really she and her whole family opened their house to us. And I think that is one of my favorite parts of the story, because I think when I think of the Canadian Rockies and that area of Canada, it's to me, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I just think it's spectacularly gorgeous. But I think this family's act of kindness to me is just as beautiful as any of the scenery up there. Um, it kind of makes you wonder how far you would go to help somebody and really complete strangers. They didn't know us. I mean, they met us for three days. So we had this experience with them. And then we kind of headed back out into the wilderness again. And for a while, things were going okay for the most part. And, you know, until the last day that my brother has an incident. And again, it was one of those situations where he had this incident and we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to take him. And we're walking back up from this river up to where we had parked. And this man shows up out of nowhere and says, oh, can I help you? You know, what has he done? Let me, you know, can I help you? And it turned out to be the exact person that we needed to <laughs> offer assistance. And that happened like two or three times on the trip. Just we would be having a crisis, like a significant crisis. And the exact person that we needed would just show up out of nowhere. <laughs> and then they would help us. And then they would be gone. They would just completely disappear. Um, and so it was it just makes you wonder about coincidence or fate or divine intervention because it happened so many times that you just, it didn't, it seemed like more than just coincidence by the end of the trip. <laughs> yeah. It's really pretty incredible as you read, you know, um, one of the testimonials that you have on the back of the book says Clark Griswold move over for Marty all hot and grace lie 10 for seven is full of mishaps. And it is, it's, it's funny. It's very entertaining, but there's some very serious moments in there. And, and, and then there's this, you know, these so-called supernatural aids that just sort of show up along the way. And so I'd love to just talk about that a little bit. What do you think was going on there? I mean, you did, and, and, and let me back up to you guys were, um, as you were, when I first heard the story at Jesse Brown's, somewhat vague about what happens. 
you get to find out when you buy the book <laughs> and you read the whole story, right? So everybody yeah. should get a copy of Tent for Seven. It is a great book and you can find out what happened and all of these details. But but in this story, you have these uh, people that just appear, I mean, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, you know, the first, uh, I guess the couple that helped us at the park was the first real significant time. And it was, it's kind of like you go, wow, what, that's just an incredible coincidence. I can't believe that happened. And, and you kind of thank you and you move on. And then when it happens the next time, you're kind of going, wow, that's really weird. That's like twice. And then the third time. And that's when you start going, okay, um, I tell you what, why don't next time you intervene before we have an emergency and then we won't need anybody to come and save us. <laughs> but that didn't work. We still had two or three more. So, uh, you know, it certainly makes you, you know, give you a little faith that maybe there's, maybe there is some providence out there yeah. keeping an eye on us. What I thought was interesting too, is that in um, several of the situations these people were gone as quickly as they appeared. Yeah. That to me is the fascinating part. And the part that I don't quite understand because where are you go? Like what, where are you going? Like the couple at Emerald Lake, I mean, we had, we'd all come that morning to go on a canoe ride. And so they must've come for some reason. And it just, to me, it doesn't make sense after they'd helped us wouldn't they stay there to do whatever it was they had come to do at the lake, but they were just gone. It was early in the morning. So it wasn't like they had were finished and were leaving. Yeah. We and were the, just, we were the first canoe ride out. So it, yeah, it's, I don't understand. And I will tell you, so we've done some, you know, speaking engagements and every time we do, there'll be several people who come up to us afterwards and say, Oh, let me tell you about a time when, so me or somebody I knew was having a crisis and somebody appeared out of nowhere and they offered assistance and then they disappeared. And it was like, that was the theme. And all of these stories had in common, somebody would show up out of nowhere. And then immediately after they had lent assistance, they disappeared. And they were kind of like, and you can't explain it. And it's yeah. like, I, that's of, of all the things I've enjoyed writing this book, I really have enjoyed just hearing people t come up to me afterwards and tell me their stories about divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. Somebody showing up and then disappearing. It's yeah. fascinating to me. And uh, just, just as a testimonial to, to the veracity of all this, I, I wrote this down as a PTSD. I wasn't writing it to make it a, a Clark Griswold right. thriller. I was just writing it down what happened. So, I mean, everything... Everything in there is, is really is what happened. It's <laughs> well, it's it's really um, it's really interesting. Like one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is uh, Joseph Campbell and this concept that he created called the hero's journey. And um, as you learn about the hero's journey, it just talks about this sort of common experience that people go through during life. But one of the things is that like once you um, have the courage to step into your adventure. Oftentimes, after you've said yes, there is a supernatural aid that shows up to help along the way. And uh, I just think it's so interesting. Yeah. That's, it certainly feels like that. I certainly felt like it. And I, I think we might have just had a supernatural aid show up just there. <laughs> sort of an angel, but so not, not always. Yeah. 
Grace's son is our supernatural aide stepping in to say hello. So guys, I mean, is there anything, is there any learning that you've taken away from that, from this, this idea that, you know, you went on this trip, you've had several experiences where something traumatic happened, but that somebody showed up. I mean, is, is, is this just coincidence? Is, is there a learning in this? I would like, yeah. I, I feel like I'm still undecided because part of me does feel like, all right, what are the chances that somebody would show up all these times? But then I think, well, maybe just if, if there is such a thing as divine intervention, why did any of that bad stuff have to happen in the first place for all these people to show up at the right time? So it, it just makes me wonder and think, and I cannot come to a conclusion on it. But I will say the one thing I think I do feel strongly about is the goodness of the people around you and that there are good people around you and that people will go to extraordinary lengths to help you and to offer you assistance. And that I kind of am one when I travel, I, I tend to sort of stay to myself more. I don't tend to start talking to everybody around me. But I just kind of realized that you might be missing out on some really nice people that are, you know, at the campsite across the street or something. Everybody's just there to kind of have a good time. And, you know, just these people were so nice to us. Um, so it kind of it's made me sort of rethink how people treat each other and maybe to kind of, you know, repay the kindness that we were shown on that trip. So interesting. One of the things that you guys comment about in the book is that you had this roommate in the hospital. Your mom has the roommate in the hospital and um, she offers for your whole family to come stay at their home. Yeah. And, and you guys are kind of like, well, oh, we don't want to impose. We, you know, we don't feel so good about that. And then she says something to the effect of, you know, you would do it for me if the roles were reversed. And I feel like there was a moment where you had to think about that, or it was kind of like, would we? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious if like, if there's been any perspective change there. Well, yeah, I kind of kidded in the book when I said, well, I certainly would do this after Jolene told me that I was going to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, she really did. That probably was the clincher because I thought, wait, we would probably do that. Yeah. But that's even still, that's, it was going to be you know, nine kids yeah. <laughs> in one house with two wounded women. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I would say I, I came away from this whole thing with a practical, maybe a little more of a practical revelation. And that is while, while none of this stuff was really uh, my fault per se, I was still the mastermind behind us getting into all these situations. And I've, I really have tried to tone it down a little bit since then. I thought just be a little more cautious about what, <laughs> Although we did take two more camping trips out west, um, actually, we and then one to Alaska. I guess that counts as out west. So yeah, we, <laughs> we, we did run a van. We got an RV on the last one, <laughs> so we were we were trying to be a little more safety conscious. Uh, to my wife's relief, yeah. And Grace, this is—I mean, this story is almost thirty years ago. You're um, a teenager when the story is. Like, do you remember this trip? Like what, what stands out to you most about your memories of, of the experience? Honestly, the thing that sticks out to me the most was how beautiful Canada is. I mean, like I just came home and had a whole different perspective on Canada and how gorgeous it is and how I wanted to move there and live there and stay there for the rest of my life. Um, we almost let her do that. Actually, we thought about that. I did. 
<laughs> I mean, we obviously were aware of what my mom went through because it was so huge, but I don't think that we were aware of the seriousness of it. And we have had this conversation because I sometimes feel guilty that I maybe wasn't more attuned to how bad the situation was, but then he admitted that they tried to shield it from us as much as possible and not talk about their adult problems to us kids. <laughs> and really, honestly, growing up my whole life, they pretty much shielded us from the adult <laughs> problems or issues that come with raising a family of five. So um, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like they did a good job of shielding us from a lot of well, the we drama. Well, there was enough going on without you guys going nuts in the backseat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah. So you guys just touched on two things that I want, two questions that I wanted to bring up. It's a, this is good timing. On the inside jacket, uh, it talks about this book being about the power of family and the majesty of the wilderness. And you just kind of touched on both of those, but I wonder if we could just go like a, like a level deeper on that, the power of family. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would. It's kind of an extension of what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, we were doing things we could do to bring the family together, make them a nice cohesive unit. Uh, and it, this was pretty uh, about ten years into our efforts, and, and I think you know we must have been a little bit successful at that because the the kids all did hold together through all of this. And uh, I think uh, the oldest Julia was probably the only one that had an idea what was going on. Uh, but but she was fabulous. She uh, performed like a trooper through all of this, uh, and they all, you know, they could have gone crazy on us and made it could have been really brutal if they'd have lost it. But they were really good at uh, maintaining <laughs> civility uh, and and just hanging together and playing together and just being good. And I think. Uh, this, we don't talk about this trip. It isn't like we sit down and over Thanksgiving dinner, laugh about this trip, <laughs> but I think it really did, uh, cement some relationships. A lot of times going through, uh, you know, traumatic, uh, events like this, whether it's a family or a work unit or people, you know, military, I think going through things like this can really help cement relationships and, and bond people together. And I think that, I think, uh, kind of came together on this trip. And Marty, for you, I've got to think that, you know, there's a part of it for you where you're feeling like you don't want the kids to to suffer. You don't want them to like have to experience anything traumatic when, when things are going on with your wife. But at the same time, you had to have felt comforted to have your whole family there together. Absolutely. Um, and they were, they just were very comforting, you know, Julie, especially because I think she knew that that was going to be helpful to do it. Yeah. Uh, and she was very good about that. And the other guys were just there was a, you know a couple instances where things got a little tense <laughs> uh but you know very naturally so based on the things that were going on but there was it was yeah very much so yeah and grace how about you on the power of family well i will say looking back to my childhood my the, the memories that really stick out to me the most are of our camping trips and not necessarily this one <laughs> but <laughs> and the other ones that we took uh, to the like to the local trips to um, like to Sliding Rock and um, the Blue Ridge Mountains and just being I don't something about being out in nature and with your family it just kind of brings everything back to like a basic level I guess and you really have to cooperate too in those environments I mean a seven person tent 
does not pitch itself. You really do have to work together. And even just cooking the dinner and sitting around the campfire, there is something about it that just brings you closer together. And I mean, even as adults, we all live in Charlotte now. We're all within a 20 minute drive of each other. So I guess it must have worked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm curious, like, you know, seven people in a tent for two weeks. Oh yeah. That's, that's a lot. And I wonder if like it takes like some really tough experiences to help you appreciate, like, you know, I mean, hey, maybe just sleeping in the tent for seven isn't as bad as it, it seems considering all these other stuff that could happen. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs> So the majesty of the wilderness, it's fun. One of the things that I love talking about on this podcast is the word awe. It's one of my favorite words. And my favorite definition is uh, a reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. And so it's interesting because you talked about like, you know, how beautiful Canada is, but you also had, you know, some experiences that could incite fear for sure. So I'm just curious if you want to speak about that majesty of the wilderness that you mentioned in the jacket. Yeah, I think there is something, I mean, that's a great definition because that is how I feel when I'm out in nature. I mean, it's, it is so beautiful, but yet you get this sense that it's so powerful. You could get hurt, but it's just, it's there. I think in, in a way it's therapeutic to be out there. I know like just going to waterfalls and sitting at the base of a waterfall has scientifically proven to be healthy for you. It, you know, it lowers your stress levels and gives you energy. So there really something, there is something about being out in nature and just not having your phones or screens or any other distractions to really just sort of immerse yourself and just, it just kind of makes you appreciate everything that's around you in life in general and all the different forms that it comes in. And, you know, it was tricky because I did not want people to read this book and think to themselves, I'm never going to go outside. Look at all this bad stuff that can happen. I'll never camp. And that, I mean, that's like the opposite of what I want to happen. So I tried to balance out, you know, telling the story of what happened to us, but also describing nature in such a way that people would be inspired to go out in it, even if you're know, despite the, the things that could happen. Cause I mean, the reality is bad things happen all the time, everywhere. No matter what you do, there's risk. So, you know, yes, there are risks. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened, we couldn't control. But I don't want people to ever think, I'm going to stay inside instead of going out and having an adventure. Yeah. Well, you know, to that point, and we've already talked about this, but you know, there's kind of two things to that. Like, first of all, if people visit either of your websites, they can find out more about all the extensive adventures that you guys have done. I mean, there have been so many, you have to expect that with that much adventure at some point, you're going to have a trip where some things are going to go wrong. But the second point is in this particular trip, what you found out that was that when things go wrong, the help you need shows up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty cool. Um, guys. So kind of back to family real quick. Like what was it like as a father daughter to, to write a book together? You know, it's funny. Cause I always, I wish that we had some dramatic story to tell about an incident where we got into this huge thing, but it really was 
very cordial the whole time. Um, our writing styles, I think, are very similar. So sometimes he would try to take credit for my writing, and then it would get ugly. <laughs> Depends on how good it the was, funny yeah. stuff, the funny stuff. Um, but it, I mean, it was. I mean, you would say, you know, I would write something, and then you would make some comment about how you wrote it. I was like, no, I wrote that. I mean, so our the, our writing styles no. are so similar that sometimes you can't tell who wrote what. But we, you know, I would work on like a chunk, maybe several chapters, and then I would send it to my dad and he would go through if he liked my changes or maybe he'd make changes to my changes. And then we'd go back and forth. So, I mean, we really... There wasn't much drama. No, there wasn't much drama. And we really, <laughs> But we really worked on it all of it together. Like there wasn't one part that I did and one part that he did. I mean, we really worked on the whole thing. Well, it kind of was. I, I did the first original manuscript in one yeah. year and then you worked on it for the next 20 years. And then, <laughs> uh, and we have to give credit here to Sandra too, because she, she, she was, um, she worked with us mm -hmm. more from a literary appropriateness standpoint to make sure we had the right character development and right. the right um, scene development and mm -hmm. theme development. Uh, so she was a big help with that. And then when we did have disagreements, the good news was we had three people. So we got down to where, you know, let's just say some tiebreaker. That's awesome. So I want to, I want to pivot a little bit, Marty, we talked a little bit about your, your inspiration and your adventure adventures as a young man, Grace. I, I want to talk. So we, as you kind of get a sense through the discussion that we've had, you know, you're 14, I think during this trip, and so we kind of got a little bit of a sense of some of your early adventures, but you've gone on to live this really incredible life full of adventure, full of travel and full of purpose. This is what I love. I mean, the, some of the things that you've taken on in your adult lifetime have been really meaningful causes. You've worked for the Red Cross, the White House, the CIA. I wonder if you could just kind of share a little bit about some of your experiences and how maybe this trip and your childhood have influenced your adulthood. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because I did all of my traveling and working for the Red Cross and the White House, not the CIA at that point yet, but I had done all that before I had read like my dad's manuscript or realized that he was this adventurer and climbed all these mountains and done all this stuff. So when I finally did read the book, it was kind of an, a, like an aha moment of oh, this is where my yeah. adventure spirit comes from. Because I, I feel like the stuff I've done goes a little beyond the norm. Yeah. And so I was always kind of like, where did this come from? Because my mom is very cautious being a nurse. She, you know, she was not the one doing all this crazy stuff. It was my dad. But I didn't realize that until after I had done a lot of my crazy stuff. So... But I think having those adventures as a 14-year-old, and really, I guess they started more when I was like 10 or something, I think it made me comfortable with doing adventurous things and spending time outdoors and going camping. And so I probably already had that confidence going into adulthood that allowed me to go on all these different adventures. and. After I know, like after college, my goal was to go see the world. Mm. And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I had always thought about joining the military. That was something that I always considered, but I never took the step to actually join. 
Um, and so then after college, I found out about the American Red Cross. They have this division that works on military bases around the world. And it was my dream job at the time. I was like, this is perfect. This is, I get to work with the military and I get to fulfill my dreams of living overseas. And so I did that for three years and lived in, I spent a year in South Korea, some time in Iraq, and then a year and a half in Germany. And it was perfect because I had a job that I loved. And then I also had, you know, time off to travel all over Asia and Europe and go on these adventurous trips. And I will say, um, I think I did them with caution. I didn't, you know, I went to North Korea, but I didn't go in by myself. I mean, I went with an organized tour group. I mean, we went hiking in the mountains there. The same with when I went dog sledding in Finland for a week. I mean, I was with a group. So I never, I don't think I, well, I ran with the bulls. That was (laughs) the smartest. But we ran towards the front, so we weren't too close. But I feel like, I feel like I've gotten to have all of these really fun adventures. Um, But I, I, but at the same time, I feel like I've been cautious with them. (laughs) So I think think the closest I've come to, in to getting hurt in any of those cases was my, when I went dog sledding, that my toe t- turned purple, I think on oh day one. And I knew that wasn't good, but yeah. it's still attached. So I worked so we're good. You guys both have great websites. We'll make sure that the links get included in the show notes. Um, but Grace, on your website, you have a tagline under your name that says your adventure awaits. And as you explore your website, you've got pictures of a lot of the different adventures that you've been on. And there's a teaser on there about a new book that you're working on documenting some of your experiences. I'm feeling maybe another podcast episode at some point in the future, but uh, is there anything you want to share with us about that project? Yeah. And you know, it kind of actually goes back to your introduction and what we were kind of talking about. I feel like that I, I am just an ordinary person. You know, I don't have connections. That's not how I got a job at the white house or anything. I, I, you know, I was able to fulfill my dream of seeing the world by working hard to get a job at the Red Cross that let me explore. So I really feel like if you want, it's kind of like if you want something bad enough, you can figure out a way to make it happen. You don't have to have connections. You don't have to know people. You can make your dreams come true. And that's really kind of what I want to emphasize in my next book, um, Grace Notes. Well, that's that's the working title. (laughs) I'll keep it. But just to really encourage people to try to fulfill their dreams and that it really, like, it, I personally believe if, you know, if you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. Like there are ways to make your dreams happen. So. Well, I love that. Cause you just answered my next question. So I'll, I'll, I'll target Marty on this one. It's really for people listening that are inspired by your enthusiasm towards life and travel and adventure, but somehow are feeling, you know, whether it's fear or doubt that's keeping them from pursuing those things. What advice do you have for those people? You know, I, I guess I would go back to what we again started with. Um, I, I wish I hadn't waited till I was 19 to, mm-hmm. to start realizing, hey, you, just you have to make it happen. Uh, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, there's a great line in the South Pacific. One of the songs says, you uh, you got to have a dream or you can't have a dream come true. Oh, I like that. Great line. Uh, and I've thought about that as I've thought, you know, if I, I want to go do something, you come, you know, if you, if you don't have something that you want to, that is your dream, think about it. What what kind of things would you like to do or be able to accomplish or become and just make it happen? Yeah. 
Well, guys, this has been such an awesome conversation. I, I want to know if people uh, want to get a copy of the book or find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the book is on Amazon. Yep. That's probably the easiest way. It's also on Barnes and Noble and uh, like several other book outlets. We should mention Park Road Books here Park in Books. Charlotte. Um, yep, in Charlotte, Park Road Books. Um, Barnes and Noble over at South Park. All right, you guys. So as we kind of go through this whole journey, um, you know, eventually Hollywood's going to pick up on this story and they're going to want to make the movie about the story inside of Tent for Seven. And I want to know when they do, who are going to be the actors that are going to play you guys in this movie? Well, um, you know, I, I have been told for a long time that my most famous Hollywood lookalike is Burt Reynolds. Yes. I, I love that. He's not available anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I liked his shows, but he was a little short. He was only like five foot ten or so. So I think at the at the six foot four level, what comes to mind uh, is Tom Selleck. Okay. Yeah. He's a powerful of them. kind of guy. Now, now he's of course my age now. <laughs> So if, if you need a 44-year-old, I had to go to my daughters for help on that one. <laughs> okay. Four girls kind of, you know, have voted on this. And I got, and I don't, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, oh, this is good. I mean, Tom Selleck could tell the story. He could be like a narrator, you know, and then uh, Ryan Reynolds could be the, I'm liking this. Okay, Grace, how about you? Well, for me, so I have heard growing up that I look like Jessica Biel. So, okay. all right, that sounds good. <laughs> no, I like it. She's also 41, so if, if you need someone to play a 14-year-old, I'm going to go with Dakota Fanning because I always oh, watch her. Oh, man. This is an all-star cast. I love it. All right. So so the book is 10 for, 10 for 7. What's the movie going to be called? I think it should be called Mountain Madness. But you don't. <laughs> I was waiting for Marty's reaction. I like it. I think we're going with Mountain Madness, and we have an all-star cast for this new movie that's going to be coming out. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. Really appreciate you spending some time with me today. We'll make sure that uh, we've got links on the show notes so people can find out more about you and visit your website and get a copy of the book. For those listening, I hope you have been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Marty and Grace's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Marty, Grace, thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. I loved it. Thank you.